everybody, it's the Bucket Cast, hosted by yours truly, BucketReviews.com, film critic and podcaster, yes, podcaster Danny Baldwin, and joining me on the show, as always, is Michael Lady Gaga Lester. What? Really? Well, you're gonna give me, like, Michael Kick-Ass Lester, or uh, Michael Didn't Die at a Funeral Lester? Or... No, I'm trying to anticipate, I mean, better, I'm sure, what will be better than all these movies is what we're really awaiting, which comes out the 30th, A Furry Vengeance. Oh, yeah, of course. How could I forget A Furry Vengeance? Which stars Brendan Fraser. Yes, and another another good piece to his body of work. Maybe we should do Brendan Fraser for next month's retros. That would be good. No, but... but I can make you watch all three Mummy the, movies the reason again. I, the reason I say this is, I'm sure you know, because you've memorized the trailer, every every second of it, yeah, uh, some some animals conspire to have an Indiana Jones esque boulder roll in front of Brendan Fraser's car. Fraser, don't call me Fraser. I I just called him Fraser because why would you call him Fraser? Because Fraser's a lot more logical. But <laughs> a boulder rolls in front of his car. His airbag goes off. His coffee spills, and what does he say? Miley Cyrus, which is hysterical, you know. Uh, yeah. and and you know what? That actually rips off. I realized the other day. No, I it's the forty-year-old virgin where he's getting his chest waxed, and then he says Kelly Clarkson. So really, yeah. Furry Vengeance is a ripoff of an R-rated movie. So, so that's my big revelation. So wait, where were the the like animals like fighting back in Forty-Year-Old Virgin? Uh, well, I guess you could say that uh, what's his face, Paul Rudd, and uh, and uh, Aziz Ansari are are animals. Aziz Ansari in I don't, think, I don't think Aziz Ansari is. Damn it. What, who else is in 40-year-old? Who, uh, Seth Rogen. Seth Rogen is, is a friend. Yeah, yeah. So, well, Seth Rogen's definitely an animal. <laughs> All right. Okay. Well, uh, yeah, what's what's relevant? No, we're on Furry it's Vengeance. I'm going to see Furry Vengeance at like midnight. I'm going to like rock the Furry Vengeance. Wow, you you think it's gonna get a midnight? For well, I think it will it will, but uh, wow, <laughs> that that's beyond the that's beyond the point. <laughs> but uh, the big movie this week was well, not so big in the end was Kick Ass, which I'm really surprised that people are shocked by the fact that Kick Ass made nineteen and a half million dollars. That seems pretty good to me, actually, for Kick Ass. I think it was wrong of people to assume this movie had broad appeal in the beat in the first place. No. I mean, it's strange, actually, because it's pretty niche. I mean, I would say that males 15 to 35 are about the only audience that are really in the kick-ass audience. Yeah. And I don't really think that the marketing for everybody, what everybody's saying, and for all that marketing, I I mean, I was not seeing any broader attempt at appeal there. No, I think I agree with you. It was really shooting for that one niche, and it never was trying to be anything else. Which it should. I I mean, the idea that they should have, like, run Hit Girl as as female appeal or something, (laughs) female empowerment, that's that's kind of like trying to run The Runaways as female empowerment, which is just psycho, but... I, I don't know where this $35 million estimate or prediction came from and why this is disappointing because Kick-Ass is an independent film in the end. Mm-hmm. It costs $30 million. It's going to make its money back. They're going to break even. And I don't know. I, I, frankly, I don't think the movie needs a sequel uh, and I don't really want to see a franchise because that would only corrupt it. But you've got our big review of Kick-Ass. So, uh, well, hold say? on, like. A sequel a, tr- a trilogy i haven't heard about this 
Well, everybody thought that you know there'd be a big sequel, and uh-huh. but, but but they were predicting thirty five million dollars in the till, and then comes twenty, and you know a sequel doesn't look nearly as good. I'm pretty sure Jackass doesn't have a sequel as far as graphic novel goes. Oh, That's... but Mark Millar would be content in writing one, That's I'm sure. Stupid. But without further ado, let's get into our review of Kick-Ass. That title is, of course, a reference to its faux sur- superhero protagonist, who's actually Dave, a teenager at school who's not exactly the most popular guy, not exactly a nerd. He just is a teenage boy who's obsessed with what every teenage boy is obsessed with, masturbation as we see in the opening scene but he decides to leave his computer and become uh, a service to the world he questions he's a comic book geek of course why doesn't the average joe become a superhero and he does exactly that he buys this kind of emerald green and yellow jumpsuit online and takes to the streets as kick-ass and after getting his ass whooped in a short hospital visit well actually a long one uh he becomes an internet sensation when he's seen in a parking lot fighting crime. And this all leads him to meet some other faux superheroes who are Hit Girl and Big Daddy, played respectively by Chloe Moritz, this newcomer who's got a lot of things happening for her, and Nicolas Cage, who, unlike Kick-Ass, are uh, really skilled and talented, and they come with a full arsenal of weaponry to boot. Uh, Big Daddy has been training young Hit Girl for ages. We see him, well, I don't want to spoil it, but a certain training exercise reveals just how intense their plans are. And they have their own uh, plans to take down organized crime, which kind of fuse with Kick-Ass. And it becomes quite a Kick-Ass experience, Michael, I think. It's uh, uh, uproarious, it's funny, and it's very exciting, eventful, lots of action, all perfectly styled by director Matthew Vaughn, who did... uh, Stardust and Layer Cake, a lot of great action films, but really surprisingly, this movie has a human core. I think that Dave is a very, some people would say Dave is underwritten, but I think he's actually a real teenage guy. That's the beauty of this character. There's nothing uh, frilly about him, and he's just normal. And, that, and that's probably the, the driving force of the film is that it does play up the everymanness of. Dave himself, and even to a smaller extent, some of the other characters, because they have no superpowers and such, they they are not technically superheroes. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting, though, the juxtaposition between Dave and Hit Girl. I mean, that kind of gives ourselves that sense of whimsy. She may be a real person, but she's (laughs) not fallible in the way Kick-Ass himself is. I mean, this is a girl who takes down hordes and hordes of trained men. And and saves Kick-Ass countless times. (laughs) So it it is a superhero movie in that sense. It's not entirely... Uh, like the movie we'll talk about next, Defender with Woody Harrelson, entirely grounded in the real world yeah. uh, in this kind of faux superhero sense. But at the same time, again, Dave is just so human, I think. And his just from the way he operates on a day-to-day level, from his browsing habits on the computer to his kind of relationship with this popular girl at school played by Lindsay Fonseca, it all feels eerily true to me. And I would say that I certainly relate with Dave and that's what works so perfectly. Mm-hmm. I know I said in my review that in this case, it's almost as important that the characters empathize with the target audience as it is that we empathize with them. We feel almost a mutual understanding with Dave and his friends on screen. And, and that to me is where the, 
superhero elements, which are, of course, the core of this movie, but I kind of underplay them because they're not what's so remarkable about it. That, that That's what makes them ring true as well. And the movie doesn't disappoint on the action. There, it's pretty continuous. I mean, you know, it still has the very big climactic scene. But as I noticed from the, the comic to the movie, it does tone down the action a little bit and makes it a little bit more palatable to the audience because I think even with the the niche it's focused on i think there'd be some people who'd be very uh taken aback by some of the things that the movie i mean the comic actually shows yeah actually a lot of like parents groups and things were offended by the movie and saying it's so uber, uber violent but compared to like kill bill and these other stylistic I, spectacles it didn't seem that violent to me no and like, I, I mean, I guess the difference is there will be a lot of younger kids going to this because the marketing somehow is skewed a little bit younger. And, and I think the fact that like, Hit Girl it being Hit Girl, that, yeah. that bothers a lot of people, the language and the violence that stem from her. But I really wasn't that offended. I don't know. I think part of it might be that I saw a lot of the shocking uh, moments, especially the aforementioned one with Nicolas Cage at Comic-Con, so they weren't quite as much a shock to me. But... Uh, <laughs> How objectionable is this for teenagers? Well, I feel it's like as a regular moviegoer, this isn't really objectionable. Yeah. Again, I, I mean, I hate to quote my review, but I think this movie will do more to uplift 16-year-old boys than it will ever damage younger kids. Mm -hmm. I really think there's a human story to be found here. And screw you if you don't, because I related to this guy and hey, I... Uh, even as a non-comic book fan, wanted to be a superhero for a day for, with this. You know, I think it's really kind of like super bad in that regard. It's it's kind of transcending from your your station in life, so to speak, however briefly. Exactly. It takes people like us and then puts them into a situation that they might wish they could go to, but not enough to go to there. <laughs> Actually so. do it, yeah. Yeah, so, so I, I think it really works and it makes some true observations about teenage life. And, and hey, how could we just... Uh, completely forgo mentioning all this uh, kick-ass action i think poblo <laughs> we should get back to poblo because Always. you've been awaiting this one poblo uh will be unhappy with us because we haven't mentioned the action but speaking of the action though i love the strobe light sequence i think it's uh -huh. one of the best there are a lot of things in this movie you know matthew vaughn might not be tarantino exactly in terms of pedigree but there are a lot of tarantino-esque stuff I was really surprised at how well the first person sequence worked before the strobe lights. Oh yeah. I yeah. was like, usually when I see that first person come on, I'm mm -hmm. like, Oh God, it's going downhill from here. Yeah. I thought the whole finale went on a bit too long, but that, uh, that whole sequence is, is just cinematic orgasmicness. I feel like the, the, the finale started out well and then kind of tried, started to trip over itself. Uh-huh, yeah. And got, you know, even though the movie's very stylized, it kind of got out there. It's like, okay, you're taking it a little bit too far. However, on the whole, I'd say it's definitely something to see. I give it three buckets out of four. Strong three out of four. And to be corny, kick ass, kicks ass, I give it three and a half <laughs> stars. I haven't seen that quoted on Mad yet. What? I'm really surprised. You you would think that would be like one of the main the, quotes. Everyone's saying, yeah. You know, I, I mean, that seems so obvious, but maybe maybe you can get started yes. on an advertisement. So uh, we're shopping that out. Okay. We want extensive compensation for you on it. <laughs> uh, we want an actual studio. Yes, but a movie we're more likely to be quoted for because it's a lot smaller budget, but it's like Kick-Ass in terms of its premise, kind of, sort of. 
is Defender. Michael, you got that one. Defender is starring. Uh, we we see Woody Harrelson taking this role as a uh, much very similar to Kick Ass, and he's this. Del- he's actually not the normal person. He's a delusional man who's trying to stop the captain of industry, and as Defendor, this you know street prowling. Yeah, so we go from very human teenager to mentally challenged adult. But he he's so, both of the both characters are so well meaning, like especially Woody Harrelson, who's so brutally honest, yes. even though he he makes mistakes and has like a, a quite quite literally a laundry list of problems. Correct. But he, as I said, he takes on the captain of industry, his perceived nemesis, and all the way he meets Kat Dennings, who plays a young prostitute, and it basically plays off his personal relationships both with her and his friends and even the like the villains he's against yeah like kick-ass a movie that really gets into humanity in the process because it's after all about humans not superheroes yeah uh rather than these uh, exorbitant spectacles uh i i really liked defender for what it was i i was really surprised by the driving performance by woody harrelson and you know we see like to go back to kick-ass we see that he buys a a wetsuit and he has these really cruddy cudgels that he makes. Yeah, Defender is similar. Is, so he carries like a VHS recorder with him and he uses marbles and stuff like that. That but, was pretty cool. No, but yeah. the, the quirkiness of it works so well. Like, I'm surprised. And the, the wasps in the little jar. Yeah, everything. that's his main, uh, main like killing moment is the <laughs> wasp going out at a villain. Uh, and terrorizing him, no, no real word on why he doesn't run away. And I, I guess it was too expensive to film a sequence of Wasp chasing him because this is a true <laughs> low-budget movie. I had my problems with the movie. I love the fact that it tries to be, you know, again, an ordinary guy, and at that, really create a portrait of mental illness as well. I, I mean, sometimes... These performances, well, not sometimes, all the time, these performances are overlooked when we talk about Oscars and things, but Woody Harrelson is really great in this movie. Mm -hmm. I mean, phenomenal in this movie. And that all works really well to me and goes to this delusion, but the movie kind of falls short in that it can't reach so far in that that it's becoming too realistic. It has to keep this lofty. And it introduces this Kat Dennings character who I know you love Kat Dennings, Michael. Thank and I'm you. sure you loved Kat Dennings in this movie, right? I, th- I thought she was okay. She's pretty good. But like, I just, that's what becomes the surreal part of it is that we have this hooker who smokes crack and yet she's perfectly normal, really, perfectly charming, perfectly mm. adjusted, just helps kick ass. Kick ass? You mean Defendor? Yes, Defendor, not Defender, as Woody Harrelson says in one. I just ruined one of the movie's best gags for you. But, (laughs) so I kind of like, and it's kind of a tough one, because the movie is good in so many respects and goes for experimental things that you kind of end up wanting more when in a movie that doesn't take those liberties, you would have never guessed, you you know, I would have never wanted Kat Dennings to be an actual prostitute who's a horrible person and then see how <laughs> Defender plays with that if the movie wasn't good in the first yeah. place. So it's kind of that catch-22 where it does something original and because of that you want more of it and it just can't extend itself far enough to be that, which is a shame because ultimately it, 
went direct to DVD and it could have gotten away with those things and, you know, no theatrical release to be found, so it didn't need it. I but, think I think it could have could have done okay as a, a theatrical release. I think people would have seen it. I don't know. It's certainly if, not. If it was released the same time as Kick Ass, no. But pre Kick Ass, I think it would have. But do you really think people could respond to this? I mean, I think people would just say, What the heck? What's going on with this thing? It, it's it's pretty out there, and that I admire about it. I, I I seem to think that people could connect. I I think if they can connect with Kick-Ass, they could connect with, with Defendor. Well, tonight you are a little bit more optimistic about movie-going mankind than I. But Which is just strange. Yeah. I mean, this coming from the guy who saw The Bounty Hunter this past week and actually kind of sort of liked it. What? So. <laughs> I give it two and a half. Like, what? Which I shouldn't have said right now because I also give uh, Defendor two and a half. A stronger two and a half than The Bounty Hunter, <laughs> might I add. It's the same score, but it's better. <laughs> well, what, what do you give? Um, I'm, I feel like two and a half. I mean, oh, so you're defending Defendor, and you have. I mean, saying. like I, I feel it's pretty good, but I don't think it has. It needs like a little bit more. I think the to, characters on the whole are underwritten, and that's really the problem. Yeah, I mean, I think Harrelson's performance overcomes that, but I think this Dennings character is really. But it's I, I, I like to fall back on your catch twenty two. I want more, but it can't give you more because of the way it's structured. Correct, and and that's a catch twenty two because of the fact that it's good. Yeah, and we would never have uh, have wanted to to be better if it. What do we say? I mean, I I can I can visualize <laughs> this in my mind, but I cannot vocalize it. it you, you we, know, we we what we want would probably in fact destroy the film for what it is. I don't know. I don't know about that, but we'll never know. So let's get on to more uh, tangible things. One, Death at a Funeral, a remake of the 2007 film. Where has Hollywood gone? We're remaking three-year-old movies. That are already in English. Yes, they're already <laughs> in English, but I fear that some people British wouldn't English. Even... And you know what's interesting about this movie? I, I, I hate to generalize like this, but, but not really. It's, it's an interesting comment. Is right after the original Death at a Funeral came out, I was sitting in a screening... Of a Tyler Perry movie. And there were two black women behind me talking about the original Death at a Funeral. And I never forgot it because I was like, these two people in a Tyler Perry movie are talking about a British imported kind of artsy at the time movie? And, and it was very interesting. And then when mm -hmm. I saw that this all black cast one is yeah. coming out, I'm saying, wow, that's an interesting parallel. I wonder if the African American community somehow responded to. <laughs> Kick-ass in a... Or, why am I saying kick-ass for everything? Kick-ass is tied to everything. I thought it was kick-ass for Defender because they were similar themes, but no, this movie is, is kick-ass as well. But yeah. Not really in terms of quality, but uh, Chris Rock is the big headliner here along with Martin Lawrence and Tracy Morgan and Danny Glover. Uh, basically, a every list. black person in Hollywood except for Morgan Freeman, Denzel Washington, and Tyler Perry that you can think of, right? I mean, it's a pretty big cast. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, it's a shame that it didn't do better than a Tyler Perry movie because this is a better movie. Uh, my big problem with the movie, which is essentially about a big uh, family getting together uh, at the uh, patriarch's uh, funeral and misadventure ensuing is that it's too similar to the original. It's an almost, it, I mean, we remember funny games, 
which was an almost shot-for-shot remake of the original. A lot Mm -hmm. more obscure than this movie, of course. But uh, that seemed to have its justifications. This, while they throw in some lines to make it, you know, appropriate for what a black family from Los Angeles might say... It's every plot point is taken directly from Frank Oz's original. And while it might be funny if you hadn't seen that, I just kind of threw up my hands and said, I've seen this movie already before and it was done equally, if not better. Yeah, I mean, I had a laugh, but I, I, I was told that like almost everything I'd seen was in the original. Oh, I so could, you haven't seen I it. I know I've not seen the original yet. But you didn't really like this one. I mean, you don't seem that. I, 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 and my more my 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 problems come from the fact that it's like just watching it and knowing that it's already been done. I'm uh-huh. like, why has this been made? Even though I haven't seen the original, I still question that. Like, yeah, especially when you know, like, with you just can. It, it makes me cringe because I envision the studio execs meeting and they say. You know, this Christian black audience, Tyler Perry gets $20 million for them every time. And we'll open to at least mid-teens. And, you know, it seems so financially motivated and demographic-centered. Mm-hmm. Like, they saw this opportunity and they said, well, let's blackify it. You know, like like they did in the 1970s, actually, mm-hmm. you know, by taking uh, movies. And, and this isn't, you know, this isn't a really racial movie. I mean, I think everybody will enjoy it equally in that respect it's not nearly as niche as tyler perry movies but it just seems like let's take this demographic and exploit it for all it's got uh Uh because we can get the most uh prominent uh black cast in the books i mean every uh, you know every comedian popular black comedian today is really in this movie yeah and it doesn't i don't know there are certain characters the james marsden character who, who gets Loaded on what his fiance thinks is Valium, but is actually hallucinogenic. And uh, he's actually better, I think, than Alan Tudyk in this movie. And it's interesting, kind of, to compare performance to performance. Uh But it seems more like a film school exercise. Like, let's compare and contrast the two movies and let's see how a remake works. So, So, okay, let's compare. Peter Dinklage in the original. To Peter Dinklage in this one. <laughs> I actually, he plays it a lot smarmier in this movie, which is kind of interesting because you would think he'd play smarmier in British. I, I mean, especially, you know, with the connotation we have with like British gay people. And it's just, mm-hmm. I'm just exploiting stereotypes yeah. more tonight. But, but, you know, compared to like the uh, American. Uh, gay stereotype equivalent yeah. it's kind of interesting how he plays it here that said i did kind of laugh at the dream girls joke which yeah. is not in, in the original of course uh, but i don't know I mean, I get... like i said my, my my problems stem from the fact that it's a shot almost like a shot for shot remake not a whole lot of difference but also i felt like even though it was short i felt like the third act dragged I on know. so much. What's up with this? It's a 90-minute movie, and it feels like an 120-minute movie. <laughs> yeah. And the strange thing, the reason why I was awaiting this movie so much is it's directed by Neil Labute, who's had a lot of success. I mean, uh, The Shape of Things is one of my favorite recent movies, and he certainly makes the movie look pretty. Mm-hmm. And it's not, you know, lit like a comedy at all. It's, it's interesting in that regard. And it's kind of nice, you, you know, I, I mean, it's nice in all these cases, it's like the Tyler Perry movies. It's, now we found the more successful black family in the uh, 21st century here. We, we're not, I mean, prior to Tyler Perry, 
really we hadn't seen a black family with a house this big or a you know both it, the sons are writers and yeah, you know, it, everyone's going to school it's, it's, like, everyone's it's refreshing successful. from a racial angle but there's just nothing that funny here i mean even if you hadn't seen the original it just seems kind of sleepy to me on the whole yeah i don't know I don't get it. I give it two out of four. Yeah, I, I stick with the two out of four as well. But huh. um, let's move on to our final retrospective for the month. Yeah. What'd you pick, Danny? For Steve I McQueen. The Getaway, which uh, we, we said we were going to do the blob. Yes. And we were talking about, uh, as you know, from last week's uh, retrospective, or not retrospective, but last week's podcast, I switched over to Blockbuster Online from Netflix because of the whole 28-day window mashup. Well, the, it hasn't been going that good because I got one of next week's movies, uh, Troll 2. How's that for a tease? Cracked in half. And I couldn't get The Blob, which is, what, a 55-year-old movie on time. Yeah. So we switched to The Getaway, which uh, I guess is more appropriate for me because we finally got to the set. That's what I was going to say. I, I hope you like this one we a little bit Sam more. got Sam Peckinpah, so 1972, and uh, I, I, it's your intro, bud. Okay, so we're the getaway. We're introduced to Steve McQueen, who is incarcerated in prison, and he is trying to deal with the rigors and the routine of prison life. He tells his then wife to basically make a deal with a corrupt politician to get him out of jail. The catch is he has to like basically commit the same crime to put him there. He has to rob another bank, uh-huh. and this is supposed to buy his freedom. But you know, spoiler alert: along the way, he's double crossed multiple times by the people that hired them, the people he's working with. And now he's just fighting to get the money down to Mexico and start a new life. Wait, you didn't... I, I, I thought that someone who said kick-ass kicks ass would integrate the time and make his getaway. I, I, I wanted to let you way. have a chance so you could get in there too, okay? <laughs> We're both trying for ads here. Okay, well, an ad for a Sam Peckinpah movie? That yeah, probably, yeah, when they re-release it again. Well, it's already been restored, so I, I you know... Like well, they'll a, restore it again. Okay. Give it time. All right, when the next format, like Red Ray or whatever It's like double HD or... Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm really excited to hear what you think. I... I really liked it. I thought, you know, I thought about what we said about Bullet, how it was very presenting these characters, like, very on the level. There's not a whole lot to them. With The Getaway, I felt it was a little bit different. Like, there was more to these characters, both Steve McQueen and uh, Ally McGraw. Mm-hmm. And they had both had a good chemistry with each other, or they really couldn't tr- trust each other, but they had to. Mm-hmm. And also, uh, what was it, the, the other robber and his sort of odd chemistry that he had with the the people that he was working with i didn't get any of that really you didn't and and in fact that's kind of my problem with the movie wow which is uh, it's it's beautifully styled like a sam sam peckinpah movie has to be and it's unrelentingly violent in that way and interesting from that angle stylistically as peckinpah almost always is you could spoon feed me violence and i'd be fascinated (laughs) but i just didn't feel like there were much to these people and i just you know it's called the getaway so you know instantly what's going to happen you know what's going on this whole time and where this plot line is going to go so i was kind of reaching for interesting characters but the problem is peckinpah's nihilistic mantra which is all this purposeless, shameless violence, 
doesn't serve this. This is a bad guy. He <laughs> he gets out of jail and then he robs another bank and he heads for Mexico. He's a bad guy. So by Peck and Paw's rules, he's not really more dimensional than that, I didn't think. So I just kind of, again, threw my hands up and said, well, it's great action. Uh, it's, again, stylistically interesting, and I enjoyed it for that, but I didn't think there was that much to it because there's nothing we can really take away like you can in Wild Bunch or Bring Me the Head of Alfredo Garcia or... I, I'm just I'm just kind of stuck on the, the, the bad guy thing. Yeah, he, he got out of jail and you know, committed the same crime, but I never get this overwhelming feeling that he is innately bad. And I think, I think, and I, my theory on that is just because this is Steve McQueen once again playing Steve McQueen. No, I felt more... So we know him from other movies, so we can't really feel he's that bad because we know that other no, character. No, I feel it's, it's more because thing. he's juxtaposed with, you know, the other robbers and all these other people that are double-crossing him who seem to be much more seedier than he is. Mm-hmm. And But, I mean, I understand what you're saying, that he's typically portrayed as this protagonist and we're always supposed to like Steve McQueen. Because so, he's not changing up his performance that much. No, it's so still... that's that's, to me, why it feels like that. Uh-huh. And to me, this is one of his worst performances because it doesn't really fit. I don't know. You... I, I mean, I... I think it, it works. I think it the character works that he it's more of he's a career criminal and this is not this is more just to bail himself out. All right. Well, I think the movie's good but not uh, great. So once again, I didn't uh, didn't you, find Steve McQueen just didn't do it for you. I mean, you took a chance. You got your nineteen seventy two. You took a two hour movie as opposed to uh, a two hours movie. and two minutes. Don't yeah. forget that two minutes. Yeah, I know it makes a big difference for you. Uh huh. Well, well, if they and, cut and the two thing, minutes, then you wouldn't oh, have slim pickings and, at the and, end. And you know, okay. The, the horrible thing about it too is is there's the opening credits and no credits at the end. Like, of course, is the custom. Uh-huh. So it really is a full two hours and two minutes. You can't just like cut it down to that one fifty eight. You know what I was gonna say though is uh, even though it's kind of one of the lesser known titles for both Peck and Paw and McQueen, uh-huh. I didn't even know it existed until I was paging through the filmography, desperately trying to find something. Uh, that was on iTunes, of course. Uh, we're revealing why I picked this, but is how much it inspired certain other movies. And I don't, I got a lot. I would be really surprised if the Coens didn't watch this before No Country for Old Men because it's set in Texas like that, and it's, I think it's very similar. And I kind of get the Rudy, uh, the Anton, Rudy and Anton Chigurh kind of being in the same zone. So and just how like you know Peck and Paul has that unrelenting sense of violence is yeah. and that sense of there's there's no explanation for this well it's even just, when there isn't violence there's always like this impending feel of violence like the there's a the tension is already always there even if the violence isn't happening yeah and interestingly enough now this is more of a stretch but the opening sequence or well not the opening sequence but the robbery sequence uh-huh. kind of reminded me of the whole dark knight opening as well yeah so I, I don't know, but but that that was interesting to me just to see the parallels, and I think maybe this is one of those movies that a lot more filmmakers have seen than uh, regular people, probably right? regular folks. It's kind of interesting. Yeah, I, I see what you're saying as far as inspiration goes. All right, uh, well I don't quite know yet what my uh, retrospective series for next month is, but that's not going to start up till the 16th because May has uh, five five podcasts in it. 
So we will see uh, what happens there. And uh, we've got some good featurettes in store for you. we got a summer preview coming up, and we might recap our favorite films of the year so far on an upcoming podcast. Here well, they already know what my, my favorite films are. so Because it just involves dragons. You know, yeah. I was thinking about that, and you can't like go back in time. For the dragons rule, because then I was looking at dragons and I'm like Dungeons and Dragons with the way. In haven't haven't seen it yet, uh, so I got that going. Uh, what Rain of Fire? Maybe you should pick the Wayans brothers as your uh, as your like. Well, Rain of Fire doesn't have dragons in the title, so uh, but, but maybe you should pick the Wayans brothers as a retrospective, and then I can have some real fun. If you thought I could, like, if you thought I was bashing Steve McQueen movies by saying they're good but not great, just wait till what I have for the Wayans brothers. That, that scares me a little bit. Maybe but then I, I have to sit through Wayans Brothers movies. Yeah, it's like you just like want to... Hmm, I'd like to choose Scary Movie 1 and Scary Movie 2, the two most <laughs> crowning movies of their darling careers in Hollywood. Uh, but what do we got next week, Michael? Um, I believe we're watching Harry Brown. Harry Brown, the, the new Michael Caine movie. Festival favorite, imported from the UK. And we uh, mentioned Best Worst Movie and Troll 2, which are very related because it's about... The, the following and the actors and everyone involved in the making of Troll 2. Which is supposedly one of the worst movies of all time, and we'll tell you our opinion on it. I've seen a few podcast. clips, and it, it, it uh, I tend to agree. Best yeah. worst movie, a huge festival favorite unto its own. And uh, finally... And The Losers, another comic movie coming to life. Which is a big action movie. Zoe Saldana, Jeffrey Dean Morgan, and... Idris Elba. What a bang-up cast there. Yes. So... We got anything else to say? Um, I don't think we do. Big recommendation this weekend is Kick-Ass. Kick-Ass. If you haven't seen it, uh, Girl with the Dragon Tattoo is still out there. And uh, I think that you would even recommend that more than I. So, yes. Till next week, this has been Danny Baldwin. And Michael Lester. On the Bucket Cast. Bye, everybody. Bye. We're on the front line. I get handed down the news. We're on the front line. Well, I never begin to choose. Just we're on the front line.